0: We are ready to go. Read. I'm ready to go for Bible study. Welcome to part two of our study on no greater love. No greater love. Following Jesus in true friendship. If you're watching online with the live stream or later catching this recording, we welcome you. I will ask Olivia, The notes are not actually posted, but you should be able to follow along. I'll basically be reading from my notes. Most of what I'm reading you can find in scripture. Um, Most of what I'll be reading will be scripture or an interpretation directly from scripture. So we'll get these posted online for you if we are watching. You can go back and catch the notes. So no greater love, following Jesus in true friendship. The reason we're doing this study on friendship the prompter on this to remind you is that our youth groups, uh, both junior high and high school, are doing discussions of friendship. Now tonight, actually, with Dean being not here and Maddie being not here, as I understand it, they'll mainly do games and activities. But y'all will have some discussion. You're doing study tonight, okay? Okay, good, good. Basketball first, okay, good. So, uh, and if any of you who are here live need to go out and play basketball for 15 minutes before you do the Bible study to burn off some energy, uh, Wallace, after working on your projects, you're probably ready to do that right now, aren't you? No, I'm joking. Uh, If you're online, sorry, I can't offer that to you directly, physically, but we're gonna head on into our study. Um, We are doing this, like I said, kind of in pair with the fact that our youth group is talking about friendship and the value and importance of deep and faith-based friendship. So this is really going to be a three-part study, and then we'll do something else uh, when we pick back up in July, uh, as I would see it right now. Last week, as I began, I said we would come to Jesus and the reason for the title of this study, but you know what? I'm going to hold that off for next Wednesday, so you need to come back next Wednesday. I think, Jackie, I think we'll be in the fellowship hall next Wednesday. Yes? i got one more week in the sanctuary, okay. One more week in the sanctuary, so we'll be in here in the sanctuary. Um, Now, uh, let's go into our study. I'm gonna repeat some verses that we looked at last week and just to to get us started. Carl handout right there. A friend loves at all time and a brother is born for adversity. That's a key verse from the Bible, from the Proverbs. And you can see, as I emphasized last week, that there's a pairing going on here between the two different terms, friend and brother. And you can see that in this Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, they're being treated as kind of the same thing. And that actually anticipates a big emphasis in the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, we're all called to understand each other as brothers. Ideally, under the law, Israel was supposed to understand each other as brothers. Definitely with Jesus, we're supposed to understand each other as brothers and as brothers who are mutual, tight friends. We're supposed to act like friends and brothers. We're supposed to be family together. You know, we come to each other, we talk one-on-one a lot, we pray with each other one-on-one a lot, we certainly do it as a larger group, but the idea, which we'll get into tonight and then pick up again next week, is we're both a friend and a brother to one another in the faith. A man of many companions may come to ruin. You can have a whole lot of people you hang out with, but if The companions you have are diverse and have diverse interests. Some or many of them may lead you in bad thoughts and into bad situations and into bad actions. That's what that's saying. The first part of that, Proverbs 18, 24. But in total contrast, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So here you get the division idea. In other words, what we saw last week too is as the Bible develops these thoughts, you get several passages of the scripture. Hey, Elizabeth handout right here. Uh, You get several uh, verses and really the overall theology is a true friend in the faith is more important than your blood brother. You know, as much as we love our biological or adoptive family, The Bible keeps leaning us in the direction to mature to the point to understand that somebody who is really your friend in the faith is a different kind of, deeper kind of brother. And again, I keep leaning ultimately in this direction, but clearly this is where Jesus is going to take us in the New Testament. This is what it means to be Christians. Okay. Uh, Now. So, so we're kind of heading in that direction Now another passage that I gave to us last week From Ecclesiastes chapter 4 I actually started at verse 9 I'm, just, I'm moving through these pretty fast tonight But verse 10, the second part Notice this Woe to the one who falls When there is not another To lift him up So in other words Let's just kind of read between the lines here A friend is someone Who is there to pick you up When you fall Ultimately, spiritually, and heading into eternity, there is a particular friend we're going to need to have to help us when we fall in sin or when we die. And who is that friend? Jesus. Yes. So again, just little precursors for next time. Now, um, woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Also, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And then it goes on and says, A threefold cord is not quickly broken. A lot of ways to read that last part of the passage. Of course, it can be read pretty aggressively, I would say, towards, hey, this is taking us in the direction of understanding that if you've got two friends in faith, who's the third one involved? God himself, right? It's not, really, it's not a Trinitarian passage, but it, it really seems to be indicating that type of union. By the way, when, you know, right now I'm doing several premarital discussions with some couples that are going to be getting married. And when we say, uh, at the end of you know, Genesis chapter 2, The two will become one flesh. You know, I always ask, and I sometimes talk about this at weddings. You've heard me probably do weddings where I talk about this. The only way two people, and by the way, for that matter, two sinners, even two justified and sanctified sinners, the only way two sinners are actually going to become one is under the headship of Jesus. Okay? Otherwise, there's going to be a big tug of war going on, even if you supposedly are united. That's just the way people are, right? So that's the threefold cord. Now, uh, as we noted last week too, uh, Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So we're not supposed to be close friends. We're not supposed to be close friends with unbelievers. Of course we're not supposed to marry, if we're a Christian, we're not supposed to marry an unbeliever. Side note on that, also according to Paul, um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes it clear that if you become a believer after you're married to an unbeliever, but the spouse has not become an unbeliever, you're supposed to stay in the marriage. I think those of us who are here know that. Just if you're watching online, let me make that clear. However, uh, if, if you're talking about a Christian and a non-Christian, those two are, the Christian's not supposed to marry a non-Christian, okay? But also this applies to friendships. May we have, can we have friends who are not Christians? Absolutely. Deep friends who are influencing our heart, soul, and life direction, no. That's what that's saying, okay? We want to love on and keep the door open for friends who are unbelievers but they're not supposed to be our tight friends, okay? Uh, Because ultimately, by the way, there's going to be a choice. We're either going to be loyal to our best friend, who is Jesus. This is what I tell youth in confirmation-type discussions, okay? (laughs) We're going to have to decide to whom we're loyal, okay? Same thing with the marriage issue also. How could we possibly say, Jesus is the most important person in my life, but I'm going to marry somebody who's not with Jesus and be one with somebody who's not with Jesus? Doesn't make sense. Okay. These lines are very simple. They're deep, but they're simple if you actually follow them. Uh, any questions on that so far? Okay, so uh, we talked last week about uh, and, and discussed more fully the seven-slash-eight loves in Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, and then we highlighted as a part of that C.S. Lewis's discussion of what he calls the four loves wrote a book, a famous book, uh, called The Four Loves. I uh, won't go back over our little summary from that last week, but let me remind you uh, of the um, highlighting of a couple loves from uh, the four loves, uh, which are you know used in the New Testament. Uh, first of all, uh, philia, uh, and this has to do with uh, brotherly friendship. Okay? By the way, I always tell you, you know more Greek than you think you do. What does the word Philadelphia mean? Brotherly love, yes. You guys all need to know that now, okay. So, Philadelphia, brotherly, Adelphia, Adelphus, love, philia, it's a particular kind of love. It's like friendship love, okay? Um, And Lewis points out, we talked about this last week, the least biological, organic, instinctive, gregarious, and necessary, the least natural of the main loves. Remember, the Greeks have all these different words for love. We're not very good in English. Hebrew's not particularly good at English at variegating these things out, but the Greeks are good at this. Uh, of the loves, friendship is the least necessary and instinctive and basically all kinds of other things Uh, but it actually is essential, okay? But here's the deal, to survive, to survive, uh, short of our current, um, you know, medical intervention and laboratory projects and all this kind of stuff, to survive, you need some level of hopefully eros between males and females, okay? That's just basic, okay? For the survival of the future of humanity, okay? you also are going to have store gay attachment to people who are in your own family, tribe, and community and nation, okay? That's just the way people work. We talked about this last week, but that's not necessarily a deep level love. Um, You know, you're gonna love your dog, but is that like a, a God level love? No, probably not. Is your dogs need love for you? Godly level? No, of course not. Okay, so that's Storge. Uh, but we tend to be kind of our 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 team, our family, our tribe. That's Storge. Uh, you have got Eros, which is important. Lewis is saying, aphilia You actually have to work on. Like Philia, you actually have to add in. To, you know, the natural flow of things. And so what he says is uh, it's the least biological, it's the least, but, and it has no survival value seemingly, although of course some of the scripture we just read would beg to differ. We don't need friendship in order to reproduce. But, Lewis says, to the classical and the medieval worlds, it is a higher level love because it is, I want you to catch this now, this is I'm kind of going off on a riff on this tonight, the choice thing which is important to us biblically and in our theology, okay? Notice this now. I've highlighted it for you. Higher level love because it is freely chosen. We, we cannot be forced at gunpoint to become friends with other people, right? We At gunpoint, we can act like we're friends to try to survive, but we're not gonna be real friends, okay? I can, I can sit there, uh, Jackie, at the university, you could say, you have to be friends with these 20 people we're putting you in a meeting with. Uh, and, and they may say, well, gosh, I don't want to like get kicked out of Mississippi State, so I'm going to act like I'm a friend. Does that actually lead to true friendship? In most cases, not. It's not a coercive thing, and it requires choice and effort beyond the typical kind of effort you're talking about, right? Um It's not, I don't have hormones going on that make me have to have friends, right? The eros thing is another conversation. The philia thing is different. It's gonna require choice and commitment and some kind of mutual reciprocity that's different than the eros thing and even than the storge thing. Okay, so remember that. um, To the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves. The crown of life and the school of virtue, the modern world, in comparison, ignores it. In a way, ignores it. In a way, it, ignores friendship like the ancients are talking about. I mean, we have all kinds of so-called friends. We have friends online. We have friends we go and do stuff with. But they're talking about a handful of people that you go deep with in deep conversations and bury your soul with. That's, that's what they're talking about. Nancy, hand out over here, right over there. Um, okay, so remember that. In Aristotle, in uh, the Nicomachean Ethics, um, he says a central, essential to a virtuous life is living in friendship. And remember, Aristotle's not a Christian, okay? Aristotle's, but but he's a, a serious philosopher, and he's saying... Um, it's essential to a virtuous life. He's very much into the virtues. Uh, now, Francis Bacon, who is a Christian, uh, says in his essay of friendship the crowd is not company. And when he says company, he means like real, you know, companionship company. And faces are but a gallery of pictures, and talk is but a tinkling symbol where there is no love. By the way, what is he echoing Francis Bacon from the scripture when he closes out that little discussion like that? First Corinthians 13, yes. Um, and And then he goes on and says, true friendship is for us as human beings a necessity. So he says it's actually a necessity without which the world is but a wilderness. Now, he's linking back not only with 1 Corinthians 13 there, but also to the passage we read last week and this week from Ecclesiastes. You need somebody who's got your back. Otherwise, you're on your own in the wilderness. That's what Francis Bacon is saying. Does anybody disagree with that? Okay, now we're going to keep going. Uh, Agape, remember, is unconditional, selfless, godly love. The way the Christian New Testament develops the concept of agape, and it's like the high level of it's gift gift love. Hence, in Old English, it's called charity, from the Greek charitas, which means like grace. Okay, so, um, so that that's where that's coming from. Uh, gift love. Now, that's just kind of a little recap. Let me keep recapping. Uh, I'm not going to go back into. You know, the second part of our discussion last week, we talked about David and Jonathan and the fact that uh, their relationship is not, as many people in the last generation have argued and argue pretty vociferously now, it's not a homoerotic relationship. It is a deep relationship that shows us about what real covenant friendship is like and what our relationship with Jesus is supposed to be like. So I'm not gonna go over all that again, but let me just pick up kind of where I left off last night, uh, excuse me, last Wednesday. Let me remind you that the name Jonathan means the Lord, Yah, Yah is short for Yahweh, which is the covenant name for God. Nathan, in Hebrew means to give. So the name Jonathan, means he is given by God. He's a gift from God. Um, by the way, I put it here in the notes tonight. I didn't mention this last week. Um, the names Mattathias and Matthew, like the Apostle Matthew, uh, those names also mean, uh, off of the noun, uh, a uh, gift of the Lord. That's what that name means. Let's go to David. I talked about this last Wednesday. The Dalet, Vav, Dalet. Depending on how you put the vowels in with those three key Hebrew consonants, either David, the name David, or the word Dod which means beloved. So you've got gift of God, given by God, and you've got beloved. And as I mentioned last time, I asked you guys to tell me, how many other figures, people, in the Old Testament are named David? And what was the answer? Zero. David is marked off as really special. Um, so he's beloved of God. And I, I didn't include this scripture. I would have, I had thought about it, but I'm sorry it's not on there. But you remember that the Lord tells Samuel the prophet that the Lord's done with Saul. And the Lord has chosen a man after the Lord's own heart. Do y'all remember this? Okay. So that totally goes with this name, David. That if you want to vowel point it differently, means beloved. And David is, you know, when you start talking about David, Moses, and um, Abraham. By the way, how many other Abrahams are there in the Old Testament? they naming them right and left? King Abraham the third? What do you think? No. Moses? Get a lot of Moseses all running all over the place? No, because these guys are like in their own... They, they um, you know, it's kind of like when you retire the number and nobody's else supposed to get it. <laughs> These are like the retired number guys, okay? So that's kind of the way it works in the Old Testament, just reading between the lines. Um, all right, so let me go back to this passage that, is, as I mentioned last week, has been, you know, I mean, disputed by people with an agenda. It's like, look, let's actually read what's going on here. This occurred to me because I did uh, a little bit of study last week, heading into last week's sermon on, I went back and looked at, uh, you know, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. And this reminded me, oh yeah, Martin, we got a link here. So let's look at this. Uh, David says, after he hears that Saul and his best friend, his covenant friend, not just his best friend, but like his covenant friend, that's, they're in a covenant relationship together. Uh, they, they, they have each other's back. They will protect each other's families, uh, their progeny forever. I am distressed for you, my brother. Jonathan, very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Now, let me go back and tell you the term that is being used here, Um, Maod, and then Niflalaha, is a term that means supernatural or just incredible like almost an impossible level, okay? So I pulled that out and highlighted that for you because it's very wonderful, okay? Everybody see that? Now, why am I talking about this again this week? Because it struck me when I was reading Isaiah 9, verse 6, Then it talks to you all about the throne names. Remember on Sunday when I preached, I said the first throne name for the promised Messiah, the, the son of David, the child born to us, the son given, who's going to be the Messiah. The very first throne name for him is Pelah Yoetz that totally links with this terminology here. So so look at this. I've I've got this pulled out for you Um, down. I'm going to skip Genesis 18, 14, and then come back to it. Uh, Pelliot's wonderful or supernatural planner is what that means. You know, when we say wonderful counselor, it means a supernatural divine level planner. And so to read this back in, let me tell you what I'm connecting here. Read Isaiah 9:6 back into what David is saying about Jonathan, and he's saying, the love that was given between us was divinely given. It's a divine covenant love. So in other words, it's inspired by God. That's what he's saying there. Now then go back and look at Genesis, I'll give you another passage with the same kind of terminology. Uh, God promises to Abraham uh, that, you know, repeatedly, (laughs) that he and Sarah are gonna have a son. And in Genesis chapter 18, the question is asked to Abraham, Is anything too hard? Is anything impossible for the Lord? Same term, okay? Because in other words, God can do the supernatural. So all this is telling us is that God can inspire and supernaturally put friendships together, okay? And the ultimate goal of this is that we would have a supernaturally, divinely inspired friendship with Jesus, who is the divinely powerful planner. Does that make sense? I thought that was pretty interesting. So anyway, as we said last week, um, Jonathan and David, each in different ways, were prophetic. They were types That's a a term of art there. That means they kind of point to. They're not as big a deal as, but they're like little precursors to um, Jesus. Both in the way that Jonathan is self-giving to David and willing to acknowledge that David should be greater than he is. Even though Jonathan is actually the son of the existing king, but David is the anointed of God. And... um, Jonathan also puts his robe on David. And we said that's a prophetic type of the way we're robed in Christ. Remember all this? So, and then David, of course, is a messianic type as well in his relationship to uh, what God gives him. So that's, that's uh, pretty interesting stuff, isn't it? It's, it's Old Testament, deep stuff. Now, let's go on to—this uh, is going to be a little more— uh, definite, obvious, but we are still in the Old Testament. So, part two tonight, page two on your handout, back page. Key action, mindsets, and issues with friendships. Let's look at this. You will all understand this if you think about it. Number one, I've already emphasized this, and this is really hitting me theologically. You know, like, this is really interesting. Choosing. We choose friends and we choose to be friends. And it's a much more, you have to be much more proactive about choosing and choosing to stay in friendships, right? Y'all all all know this, right? I mean, Grace is my daughter, you know. I'm definitely going to look forward to seeing her this weekend. She's coming home, and I'm going to be at her wedding. I guess you could say I have certain choices with that, but I'd be crazy or, you know, probably would be, you know, uh, in big trouble with family members if I don't receive her this weekend and don't show up at her wedding, right? Uh, Some random person that Nancy doesn't even know that I've said, you know, I'd really like to be friends with him. Am I going to get, you know, all kinds of uh, influence from other people about whether I go to his event in the next month? No. It's much more of a, proactive choice, right? So you've got this choice thing going on. Uh, You've got mutual effort towards alignment. There needs to be mutual alignment for true friends. There's gonna be a meeting of the minds, common, you know, bonds. You don't have to agree about everything with the true friend. But there's gonna be some sense of basic value structure is gonna to fit together. Okay? And then there's gonna to have to be effort, ongoing effort for this mutual alignment. Right? So this is like if, if we're gonna be, if we're gonna have friends, definitely friends in the faith, we actually have to work at this stuff, you know? And it turns out the scripture is gonna call us to do this. Uh, and then third, there has to be trust. There must be trusting and or believing between the two friends because if what you tell me I can't believe, do you think we're going to be friends very long? If you say I want to meet you for lunch and I keep showing up for lunch and you're never there, what, what happens to my trust level in you? It's going to go down. Will we remain close friends for very long if you blow me off for several times? Of this you know we're supposedly going to get together and then oops something came up sorry no right the trust level goes down if i find out you lied behind my back or talk badly behind me what's the trust level at that point it's not going to be good and are we going to be close friends for very long you guys know all this right we've known this since you were like you've known this since you're six years old and you definitely know it now no of course not but these things are essential you know keys to friendship. So, again, choosing, initial choice of friends, and then choosing to remain, which builds us into number two, mutual effort toward alignment, and number three, trusting or believing. Now let me tell you this, those three things that I just outlined for you, which pretty much any kid who's six years old who has any social sense at all would say, yeah, okay, I'm starting to understand that, even though you're talking in big words, I basically get that. Totally, are keys to a biblical understanding of our relationship with God. These are actually big theological realms that you're looking at. Choosing, mutual effort toward alignment, and trust, belief. Trust and belief. So let's go to that. That leads us into Abraham, who is famously famously in the Bible, referred to as God's friend, God's friend. And he, Abram, in this case it's Abram, he doesn't have his, his larger name yet, and he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, reckoned it to him, Abram, as righteousness. Uh, so let's, let's take a look at that. Uh, so this is a famous passage. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. We call this, in one sense, the, um, the proto-gospel of justification by faith. Okay? You've got justification by faith as early in the Bible as Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. That, that verse there... Paul jumps all over this in the New Testament letters and it basically is in between, in, in, in between the lines of all the Gospels. This concept at which Jesus calls us to, to believe in the Lord and the Lord will credit that belief to us as righteousness. You know, so ultimately the way the righteousness comes is through Christ. Okay. But already we're told in the Old Testament, nearly 2,000 years before Jesus, that we've got justification by faith. It just happened right there. It's pretty wild, isn't it? I, that's not my study tonight. If you all have questions about that, I can certainly come back into justification by faith if you want that. But um, then now look to James chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed... And it was accounted to him for righteousness. What is James quoting from? All you got to do is look back up the page. What verse of scripture is James referring to? Yeah, Genesis 15, verse 6. Okay, now then look what James adds. And he, in other words, Abraham, was called friend. The Greek noun there is philosopher. You know the verb, right? Remember? Philia, okay? And he was called friend of God. That's where you get this famous statement for point of reference. But let's go back. What is James talking about? Well, there are at least two passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that we want to unpack to understand this thing about Abraham. So in 2nd Chronicles chapter 20 verse 7 the cry to the Lord for the Lord's help you know in a time when Israel and specifically Judah had continued in unfaithfulness and there's bad consequences going on did you not O our God drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel in other words didn't you give us this promised land how is it that the promised land is being taken away from us because you drove out all these nations and gave it to us why why did that happen um, way back when in the old days give it to the descendants or the Zerah the seed of Abraham your friend forever do you see that now, now look at this. Oḥavka What that means is your beloved, the one you love, and forever. Now, whom does God love forever? In the in the sequence of the actual Hebrew, it's Abraham. It's not some great-great-great-great-great-grandson of Abraham who's being totally unfaithful, okay? The only way God's gonna love that one is from the extension of the fact that God loves Abraham as his friend. Y'all see what I'm saying? That's the way that works. So uh, what's happening is, look, we know we've really been bad, but would you please remember how you loved Abraham? Your friend, and you gave us this land, could we please, like, could you please just kind of relent and and let us keep this land? That's what's being said there. Okay, now let's look at the other passage, which is more important. You've heard me include this in sermons when we worked our way through Isaiah. Let's go back to it. i tell you what, I'm going to read through the whole thing. This is one of the great passages of the Old Testament. It's a great passage. And then we'll kind of look at some of the words here. Uh, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen. Have we already talked about choosing tonight? Did the Presbyterians, by the way, make up all this thing about God choosing stuff? No, it's all in the Bible, right? Okay. Um, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen. The offspring, the Zerah, the seed of Abraham, there it is. My friend, I'm going to come back to what's actually being said there. You, whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A lot of people that I see had that last verse quoted on Facebook pages, on, you know, tweets that they send out, Isaiah 41, verse 10. But you see the what actually leads into that verse is this discussion about Abraham being God's friend. Okay, now let's look at a couple things here. You can see I've got it all listed in the handout. We'll post the handout if you're watching online. Uh, This is second masculine singular over and over again because God is talking to the people, the Jews, the Israelites, as one people, specifically as Jacob or Israel. You remember Israel is the name for a man, the grandson of Abraham, whose name is what? Jacob, and God gives him another name, which is Israel. Okay. So again, this God's relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is pounded in the Old Testament. It is a huge thing, Okay, Uh, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen. In other words, I not only chose Abraham, I chose Abraham, and I chose Isaac, and I chose Jacob. Now, that is a live issue on the Jacob thing, because who's the elder brother of Jacob? Which twin comes out first? So how how does it end up that Jacob is the line? You could say, well, Jacob and his mom finagle, but what does the Bible tell you happens before and beyond all that? God chooses Jacob. Okay, so anyway, um, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Now, the term there is ohaveh. OK, now let me remind you. The big general term in Hebrew for to love is ahab. The term for love, like a noun, is ohav. Okay? So he, this word actually means my beloved or my beloved friend. OK, y'all see that? It's a love relationship, a love friendship relationship that God has. Again, I want to just remind you, we tend to, and this is part of the reason Dean is doing the study on friendship. In the modern and definitely postmodern world, we tend to like dumb everything down to it's all about sex. None of this has to do with sex, but this has to do with deep, soul-reaching love. That's God's relationship with Abraham. Um, And then God is saying to the people, I'm dealing with you through that line, through those particular people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, And so it's really interesting. When God says, I'm going to take you by the right hand, my righteous right hand, I'm going to deliver you. And by the way, what ultimately is being prophesied here? If God is taking us by his hand, if his hand is going to reach out to us, how does that happen? 700 years later, Jesus comes. Okay. So God is going to reach out and he's going to take Jacob, Israel, by the hand. Because God has this friendship-love relationship with Jacob's granddaddy, Abraham. I chose chose him and I chose you. That's what was just said. So does this apply to us? Yes, it does. But through the covenant and the covenant love relationship God makes with his people. Now, do I initiate that? Let me ask you this. Do you think I initiate that? Do I deserve that? Is it all about Martin or Susie? Or is that what God? No, no, no. It's it's through this kind of relationship and these promises. So that's, anyway, that's the Isaiah passage, Isaiah uh, 41, verse 8, that is the really central passage about Abraham being God's friend, okay? And in Abraham's relationship with God and in David's relationship with God, I mean, David, by implication, is also the friend of God because he's a man after God's own heart. And God loves David. And it's just obvious. David passionately loves God. God loves David. And God is, you know, God's tough on David when he sins, but God also graciously forgives David and restores David. So uh, the two terms here, and they relate. Uh, there's aman in, in, in um, Hebrew, which means believe or faith, okay? And then there's batach which means trust. And what God says about David and Jerusalem is that at David's high point, David and the city that David establishes for God is full of faithfulness and trust. So in other words, you've got what you need for a real friendship relationship per our study tonight. You follow me? And by the way, when you start reading the beginning of Isaiah, isaiah rips into jerusalem and he says jerusalem has become like sodom and gomorrah and there is no faithfulness and there is no trust you don't you don't believe me you don't trust me i don't trust you and you're unrighteous and unjust and you're about to be out of here but i will ultimately restore you because again fast forward because of my friend Abraham, and because of the promises I made to David, and my name will be upheld through somebody who comes from the line of David that will be far greater than David. That's, in summary, I just gave you the prophecies of Isaiah. Okay? Now, um, let's move on. What about us? We, in Christ, Again, not Martin on his own or Susie on her own. It's like if I'm looking to myself, hey, I've been a pretty good boy, God. You, you probably want to just kind of pick me on my own. No, that, that's not going to be the way this works. We in Christ are children of Abraham. And who is Abraham? God's beloved friend forever. Good? What does forever mean? Forever, Right? And by the way, it can also mean like back through antiquity. In other words, it's above and beyond time. Abraham, you, what you want to say at one level, the highest level, you're going to say, I'm with Jesus. But at the lower level than that, you say, I'm with Abraham. If, if you show up at heaven and they, they say, wait a minute, who are you? You say, I'm with Jesus. And by the way, through Jesus, I'm with Abraham. And they're going to say, come on in. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's the implication here, okay? So we in Christ are children of Abraham, God's beloved friend, and we are friends. We are brothers of Jesus. And I put the dot, dot, dot there because we'll get to that more next week. Okay, so let's look at this children of Abraham. Y'all used to sing this when you were kids, right, about being children of Abraham? Yes? Okay, good. Um, So then... This is from Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul, uh, Galatians 3, 5 through 7. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned or counted or credited to him as righteousness. Okay, what did Paul just quote from? You know the verse. What is the verse? Somebody tell me what the verse is. back in the Old Testament. Genesis 15, verse 6. I mean, if you're a Christian and you don't know Genesis 15, verse 6, chapter 15, verse 6, I really need to drill this into you. You need that as a lodestar, right? It's just all, you know, you got to understand Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed and God credited to him as righteousness. Hey, that's justification by faith. It's already in the Old Testament. You know, nearly 2,000 years before you arrive at the New Testament, right? So we get it quoted again there by the Apostle Paul. Just as Abraham believed and it was credited to him or counted to him or reckoned to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Do I have to be ethnically Jewish to be a son of? or a child of Abraham? Do I? No. Do I achieve becoming a son of Abraham by rigorously fulfilling the law and showing off my own righteousness? No. What this just said is it comes just as God justified Abraham by faith, connect your dots here now, just as Abraham, was credited with righteousness from, that came from God. What Paul says in Romans chapter 1 is, this is, this is, this is we've already got the template for who Jesus is and what Jesus does. It's a, it's a righteousness that comes from God and goes back to God by faith through faith. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 1. Okay, So here it is again. So um, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Now, clarification point here for all of our sisters, we could translate this and some translations. Go ahead and say, you know, sons and daughters of Abraham. What this is talking about is this is not talking about uh, gender. This is talking about being in the line of inheritance and having inheritance rights. That's why you're emphasizing sons here being under the covenant. And in the New Testament, in the New Testament, women who are believers, as well as men, are sons in a broad sense of the term, because we all we don't come in derivatively, we all come in through Christ directly. Do y'all have questions about that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, uh, but you don't need to re-edit the New Testament. To, you just need to understand what the New Testament is saying, okay? Uh, now, uh, let's go to a few of these other ones especially with our Christian friends or brothers, we are to follow through on what God's word calls us to do for our fellow believers. So I'm just giving us a few things. So what are we supposed to be like as Christians? Well, if we're supposed to do this in general with other Christians, we definitely should do it with Christians who are like fellow church members who should be our, clearly our brothers and sisters and friends. Okay? So what are some of the things we're supposed to do? This is how to be a friend. I'm just giving you a few here. I could have kept going, but, you know, I'm at the end of page two. And I guess my timing was pretty decent. We got about another five minutes to go. So let's just look at these. But I say, you know, go to all the one another passages. There are loads of one another passages. You know, love one another. Do this for one another. Do that. Okay, here's a few of them. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Well, how much, Jesus? Because, you know, I kind of get tired of some of them. Or can I just do like a little bit, like share? If I've got five pieces of candy, I'll share one piece of candy that I don't really want. Is that what you mean? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. You like just washed your disciples' feet like you were the servant or the slave. And you're getting ready to die for them in their place. And Jesus is saying, yes, that's what I mean. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, that's a real friend. That's a real brother, right? Um, just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. That, of course, we pretty much could close the book with that one verse from Jesus. Go and do. (laughs) Basically, if you want to be a real friend and a real Christian and a real brother and sister in Christ, just put John 1334, you know, on your car uh, where you get ready in the morning and live it out. Start trying to live it out. In Christ, by his spirit, yield yourself to begin to live it out. It is a If you want to come back to me next Wednesday and say, Pastor Martin, I've pretty much covered that. What's next? I'm going to have high level of concern for you. (laughs) I've already achieved that. You know, it's no no big deal. And that's a big deal. To love at Jesus' level, our fellow believers, and to be a friend like that with other believers, that's a lifetime of pursuit that will never be perfected. Now, let's go on a couple other ones. Here's what a real friend in the faith does. But encourage one another every day. Now notice that. I I like the practicality of this from uh, Hebrews. Encourage one another. How often? Every day. So if we've got a real friend or brother in the faith, are we supposed to just get in touch like a couple times a year for encouragement? No, according to this, like, and the cool thing is in our age, Bad news is we we don't, like, live closely together like they did back then. The good news is all you got to do is text somebody or call them up for one minute and encourage them, right? This is doable, okay? Um, Encourage one another every day, and then this goes into, like, big theology here, as long as it is still called today. Because today is the era in which we can be saved. Tomorrow is the new age. When you know it's appointed, a man wants to die, and then the judgment. I mean, you're you're at death and the judgment once you're out of today. Everybody with me? So while we're still in today, while you're still alive on this earth, you're supposed to. We're supposed to encourage one another every day, uh, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now this is an interesting two-way street, isn't it? I'm told that I need to encourage you so that I won't be hardened into sin and its deceitfulness. And you need my encouragement so you won't be hardened into the deceitfulness of sin. You see the two-way street thing there? It goes both ways. I need to be a good friend to you and you need my friendship so that we both mutually won't be hardened into the deceitfulness of sin. And by the way, there's going to be other people influencing you, so I probably do need to be reaching out to you on a regular basis and you need to be reaching out to me and to one another. That's what that scripture just said. Don't let it go. Okay? That's Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. Romans 12 verse 15. The apostle Paul says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep." sounds simple. That takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of opening ourselves up to other people, right? That is a template for real friendship. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And then from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, put on then, as God's chosen ones. There's that that language again. I mean, you just can't escape this chosen language stuff. Uh, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Now notice that. That's what friends do. Bear with one another. That means even if Jane, you really shouldn't be so concerned about this, but I'm going to bear with you and encourage you through this thing that you're so concerned about. You know, that kind of thing. Okay, Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, go off and talk about them and gossip about them and stab them in the back. No. Forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, oops, there's that standard again. As the Lord, in the same way the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, a true friend does what? Forgives. A true brother, a true sister, forgives. This is a high calling. This is what we're called to as Christians. And this is... uh, I've already kind of headed us in this direction, but I can just tell you, if this challenges you, we're going to get a little bit more, but also get a little more encouragement from Jesus on Jesus as the ultimate friend next week. Okay? That's our study for tonight. Good? All right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you love us, and you also specifically came here And loved your disciples, and you loved us ultimately, giving yourself away in service, in our betrayals, and all the disappointments you bore, um, disappointments when we weren't faithful. You were faithful all the way through. You loved us to the point of and beyond the cross. How great is your grace! And, Lord, you forgive us, and you have forgiven us. Lord, let us bear with one another, be true friends with one one another, Uh, rejoice in your choosing of us and choose others, and, Lord, uh, be faithful, rejoicing with one another, weeping with one another, forgiving one another, and growing in your Holy Spirit by your grace with one another. In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Thank y'all. All right. Good to be with you tonight.